Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 343 of the Juice Box Podcast. This episode of the show is sponsored by Omnipod. You can get a free, no obligation demo of the Omnipod tubeless insulin pump sent directly to you by going to myomnipod.com forward slash juice box. Imagine this for a second. You're at your home, the mail comes, and in that mail is the insulin pump that you've been dreaming of, the tubeless insulin pump that you've been dreaming of. No wires, no tubing, just this little Omnipod. And you're going to try it on and wear it for a couple of days to see how you like it. Once you've done that, you can reach back out to Omnipod and say, this is amazing, I want to keep going, or you don't want to keep going with Omnipod. No harm, no foul. No one's going to bother you. No obligation, no cost to you to try that demo pod. So why don't you give it a shot, right? There's absolutely no reason not to. The show is also sponsored today by the Contour Next One blood glucose meter. The Contour Next One meter is absolutely, without a doubt, the best glucose meter my daughter has ever used. Next month, Arden will have had diabetes for 14 years. And the Contour Next One is, without a doubt, the most accurate, easy to use, genuinely lovely little blood sugar meter that Arden has ever had. I love the second chance test strips, which, you know, happen all the time. You think you're going to get enough blood with that first drop and you don't. You have to go back and get more. You can do that with the Contour Next One without wasting a test strip. You know what I'm talking about. You think you've got enough blood and you don't. It's weird that it happens when this meter needs such a little bit to begin with. But you know, just once in a while, you're like, you see a little red, you're like, I've got it. You put the lance down, you give a little squeeze, and then nothing comes out. And you're just like, and it won't, it won't. But you think, this is enough. And you touch it, and it's not enough. You're like, oh, all right. And you squeeze again, and look at it, you finally get some more out. That whole thing. Don't waste a test trip with a contour next one when that happens. We all know what happens. It's great not to have to waste a test trip when it does. Contournextone.com. Get there. Because at the top of the page, there's a link to hit. And you may be eligible for an absolutely free meter. And if you're not, and you still want to upgrade your meter game, just ask your doctor. They'll throw you a little prescription, and you'll be on your way with the Contour Next One. And we're also sponsored by Touched by Type 1. Check out touchedbytype1.org to see what this amazing organization is doing for people living with type 1 diabetes. It'll only take you a few minutes, but once you get there, you might stay a little longer. When you're checking out their programs, some of the things they've done in the past, look at the kids that they're helping, and the ways that they're trying to support a search for a cure. This really might be up your alley. Touchedbytype1.org. And of course, Dexcom, makers of the G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor. The data that comes back from the Dexcom G6 is at the core of how we help our daughter with type 1 diabetes. Honestly, it's how a lot of people listening to this podcast are getting their data, that data that is so important for making decisions about temp basal increases and decreases, extended boluses for foods like pizza or Chinese food, helping you to cut off low blood sugars before they happen. Is your blood sugar always high and you think it's your basal insulin, but you can't tell? Dexcom will show you if that's true. Always too much basal insulin, you're always fighting a low? Again, you'll be able to see that on your Dexcom. You're going to be able to see everything and it is life-changing being able to share your blood sugars with loved ones anywhere in the world with iPhone and Android. Just imagine that. Your sister, in, where, where do I want to pretend your sister lives today? Hold on, where did I say last time? Ooh, 
your sister in Kissimmee, Florida, right? She's got the diabetes, but she's living alone. She wants somebody to have her back a little bit. That could be you. You're all the way up in Anchorage, Alaska. You know Alaska. Sled dogs, a lot of cold, a lot of dark. Anyway, you live there. Your sister's in Kissimmee. Her blood sugar starts heading down. She doesn't notice. You get a little beep, beep, beep on your phone. You, you give her your sister a phone call. You're like, hey, uh, what's her name going to be? Kathy. Hey, Kathy, your blood sugar's getting low. And she's like, oh, my God, it's you. I love you. And you're like, yeah, yeah, we're sisters. And then her blood sugar never gets low. She didn't notice, but you did. Imagine that if it's your child at school or your sister in Kissimmee. That's amazing. That's Dexcom share and follow. Dexcom is going to give you the speed and direction that your blood sugar is moving in in real time. Constant. You hear that word? Continuous glucose monitors because you're getting that data continuously. It's a game changer. Please trust me. Find out more at Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. Actually, you can find out about all of the sponsors and the links you need to find them right there in the show notes of your podcast player. And if you can't, for some reason, you're using some like 900 year old Android phone or something like that, and you can't click on them, they're right there at juiceboxpodcast.com. I'm not leaving you hanging. I'll get you there. All right, let's talk about John Welsh for a second. John has type 1 diabetes. He's a physician and he works at Dexcom. And he's on the show today because I reached out to Dexcom and said, I want to drill down deep. I want to understand granularly the way smart people understand what is standard deviation. And I know that might be like, you're like, oh my God, that's what this episode is about. But no, no, listen to me. What we're going to talk about today, standard deviation, we're really going to understand what it is and how they come to those numbers. We're also going to talk about coefficient of variation. Now, there's a lot of words you don't know, but by the end of this, you're going to understand. And you're going to understand why it's so important for you living with type 1 diabetes. After we get all this information into our heads, I started talking to John a little bit about how does he manage? What does he call success at the end of the day? And it wasn't as much about the numbers as you might think. But he really helped me to understand what these words that, you know, maybe don't make sense to us right away, just lay people, what they mean and how they're helping. You know, it used to be all about A1C, right? You just tell, you'd tell people like, keep your A1C here. This is what you have to do. But then all of a sudden you start hearing people talk about standard deviation and variability. And this is going to help you to understand it even more. I had such a good time talking to John that it got away from me. I was supposed to talk to him for an hour and like an hour and 20 minutes into it. I was like, oh my God, I got to let you go. He was like four minutes away from having to go to another meeting. And I was just like, oh, I'm sorry, go, go, go. I found this incredibly interesting. I hope you do too. Because I really believe that the concepts that John and I spoke about today are at the core. They're the basis, the bedrock of how you should be considering your health with type 1 diabetes. If you're looking for data to tell you how you're doing, these three things are a huge piece. You'll, you'll see. Please remember while you're listening that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Please always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. I wanted to call this episode Sugar Adam, but anyway, you'll find out why. Here's my finding. And I've been at this like quite some time, uh, being around the diabetes space, I guess. And when the powers that be, whoever they be, 
decide that we should all be aiming for a lower A1C. There's a way to disseminate that information. They pull together, um, you know, industry people and they and they give them the talks like here's why A1C should be here and not here and here's what we've learned and you know you get that talk and then those people find different stakeholders and and influencers and they they spread the word and before you know it when it's distilled out to the public the message is simply you know the ADA decided that your A1C should be this now and that's what you're now going to hear your doctors your doctors talking about like it's you know, like it's a, a rule handed down from up high. They'll suddenly they have mm-hmm. a different opinion. And if you don't pay attention, you don't realize that that's just how we get information out to people, right? There's no good way. You can't call everybody in the world and say, hey, by the way, your A1C should be a little lower now. You do this. But often while we're spreading that information, it lacks real context. And when this happened recently, I'm going to guess in the last two years, when all of a sudden, you started hearing your endocrinologist tell you, listen, it's really much more about variability, your standard deviation. Uh, and they started talking like that. There was no context with it again. And then suddenly everyone's just, you know, it's, they're walking around like they've learned something. And they say, uh, you know, A1C is not as important as standard deviation. And then all of a sudden the message becomes A1C is not important. And then it gets, it, it gets, you know what I mean? Like it gets ruined as people oversimplify things. And so... I really want to leave this talk just backwards and forwards understanding standard deviation. And uh, when I reached out to Dexcom, I said, I need someone who can really do that and no pressure, but they said it was you. So (laughs) (laughs) I I guess, you know, if, if you looked around Dexcom, you would say, all right, we need somebody who can tell stories, who can talk in a straight line more or less. Um, and my, um, just by way of introduction, I, my job title is um, medical and scientific writer. So I love a good story, and I love uh, especially the stories that have to do with numbers and stories that try to convince people that the truth is actually true. Um, and and numbers can really buttress a, a story. You say, hey, look look what happens if you don't save for retirement. Uh, here's here's one way you could go if you spend your money in Las Vegas on that gambling table versus spending your money in an IRA or whatever. So the the idea that you can make uh, convincing arguments with numerical data has always been attractive to me. And and uh, that's why I did some uh, residency training. I went to, went to medical school, went to graduate school. And after medical school, I did residency training in laboratory medicine. And laboratory medicine is all about measuring things and saying, oh, you've got an abnormal value on one of your lab results, and here's why it matters, and here's what you should do to mitigate the risk of, for example, having a really high potassium level. Um, So if you have good data, then you can make persuasive arguments, and you can change people's behavior, hopefully uh, keep them out of trouble. In the case of a higher low potassium, you could save their life if you get the, uh, the doctors to intervene uh, in the case of some really abnormal lab value that might come up in the hospital context. Um, the, the bigger question about, uh, about glucose values and standard deviation, we can get to that, but um, you made the, the broader point about uh, public health recommendations, and man, we are just right in the middle of public health recommendations uh, with, with the pandemic because there's, there's a lot of uncertainty, which is, gosh, you know, how can I go to the concert? Can I go to the restaurant? Can I go outside without wearing a mask? And that uh, 
the recommendations that we've been getting from public health authorities have been um, a little bit discombobulated, maybe internally inconsistent and um, kind of frustrating at times. But uh, I, I'm with you, though. The idea that we can provide uh, good evidence-based recommendations with respect to uh, goals in, in managing diabetes is is a big interest of mine. I'm, I'm all about uh, all about the numbers. Well, many, many years ago, I came to the conclusion for my daughter that if I, I get what I expect is what I started thinking of it as. I, I realized I had Arden's high line set at 200, and I always kept her under 200. So one day I moved her to 180, and I was like, oh, I always keep her under 180. Uh, this is really interesting. So I kept pushing it down and pushing it down. And now my daughter's um, you know, range is 65 to 120. And mostly, we keep it in there. And when we don't, it doesn't go that far out, right? It'll go to 150. That's usually, you know, like just now, I'll use this morning as an example, two slices of toast, an avocado, butter, and an orange. And her blood sugar went to 148, and it's coming back now. And it's not over That's a long terrific. period of time. Yeah, it's beautiful, right? And so, but her standard deviation will look bigger than someone else's. And I don't know if I'm making up things in my head or like, how is it possible that Arden can have a life like that, but her standard deviation could be higher than someone whose A1C is a point or two bigger than hers? and who have swings that are far higher and last longer. And so that that's the one idea that keeps me focused on. I don't understand standard deviation or not. And then when I start talking about it with the people that I that listen to the show, I come to realize that everyone's sort of got that that confusion. So can we start very over simply and standard deviation as an idea is a mathematical issue, is that right? Oh, um, it is. It's it's a number that is used to describe uh, a set of numbers. So uh, for the case of folks who are using uh, CGM, you might expect up to 288 um, numbers every day. And each number represents a glucose concentration. Um, and you can use words to describe that set of numbers, or you can use numbers to describe that set of numbers. The, the average is a pretty simple number that uh, it's easy to calculate. You would add up those 288 values and then divide by 288. And then you get the mean. Um, in this case, it's the arithmetic mean. Uh, there's other flavors. There's the geometric and the harmonic mean, but we'll, we'll leave those aside for now. But the arithmetic mean uh, tells you it's a measure of central tendency where you might expect the average, if, if there is such a thing, an average value to fall. The standard deviation is is another number that's used to describe that set of numbers, and it describes uh, the width of that distribution. So it it gives you an idea of how surprised should you be when a number shows up which is pretty far away from the mean. So here's I've got a um, got a wonderful document came out a couple of years ago that looked at uh, glucose concentrations in people without diabetes. And they uh, they came out with normal values, and the normal value here for uh, glucose was pretty close to where is it 99, and they expressed this number 99 is the average, and then they give you a plus and minus seven. That plus and minus seven refers to the standard deviation, 
And the standard deviation, if you imagine a, a bell curve that you might have seen in, in school, mm-hmm. where the most popular value is right there in the middle, that's the mean value, in this case, 99, the plus or minus 7 tells you how steep is the drop-off on either side of that mean value. So in this case, the 99 plus or minus 7, if you were to go up to 106, in other words, the, the mean plus 1 standard deviation, you would expect to have um, about, I'm sorry, let's go back and say 99 plus or minus 7. Uh, 99 minus 7 is 92. 99 plus 7 is 106. So anywhere from 92 to 106, the expectation is that you would have two-thirds of the values in that pretty narrow range. So if your goal is to have, if your goal is to have uh, quite a lot of uh, stability, which in general is a good thing, uh, you want that standard deviation to be low, and normal people without diabetes, it is in fact quite low. 99 plus or minus seven is a very tight distribution. Two thirds of the values fall between uh, 92 and 106. Okay. So uh, there's there's a calculation we could walk through it if you want. Please. Yeah, I was just going to tell you that when we're done, um, and I can say this because this won't go out until after I'm allowed to, but. Uh, I'm wearing a Dexcom Pro. I have been for a couple of days. Ah. And so I can see, I'll be able to look while you're talking and figure out what mine is. Oh, good. So uh, are you able to see the real-time data or or not yet? No, I see it. It's not blinded. I'm looking at it on my phone. Oh, okay. Well, I, I hope you're I hope you're within seven points of, of 99. I, I hope you're well in the normal range. I certainly hope so, too. Uh, but I am. I've, <laughs> I... I, I um, was really, I have to be honest, as I put it on, I thought I'm doing this so that I can see how a a working pancreas attacks things, brings them back, what curves look like. I wanted to see all that because I thought it would make it easier for me to speak to people about, about using insulin. But at the last second, as I was about to do it, I thought, am I about to find out I have like type two diabetes (laughs) or or pre-diabetic or something like that? I was like, maybe, you know, and I just kind of was like, all right, well, if that's if that's the case, it's the case. I'm going to find out. But I think I've go. been pretty and, good so far. So uh, luckily, well, I I hope so. And and um, uh, when we do onboarding, we have uh, people come uh, work for Dexcom, and um, part of the onboarding process is, hey, look at uh, look at our product and look at what it does. And of course, it's voluntary. But we we say, all right, if if you'd like to wear one of these just to know what the experience is like, we can get you set up with one of these. And, and our expectation is always your glucose values are going to be, are going to be let me check, boring. Uh, and you're going to have a, a really smooth ride throughout the day, um, you know, 99 plus or minus seven. Uh, but once once in a while, we have we have people that come back and they say, you know, John, I, I learned something really interesting. And I say, well, what's that? Um, if, I have, if I have an entire pizza, uh, I can get my sugar up to 180. And I say, wow, that's that's abnormal. And so people learn uh, something, even if they don't have a known diabetes, they can learn something about uh, diet and exercise. They, you know, I went for a long bike ride yesterday and I crashed. I went pretty low and then I had the the Coca-Cola or the, the sugary drink and then I saw my sugar zoom back up. So 
you can learn a lot. Um, and that's a general truism that you can learn a lot just by looking. Yeah. Um, but Scott, I'm, I'm pleased that you're wearing uh, one of the CGM sensors and I hope you learned something. I really am. I'll tell you already, I had two pieces, smaller pieces of homemade pizza on Sunday. And three and a half hours later, I got a push up from the protein and the fat probably holding the, uh, the, the crust of the pizza in my, in my system longer. That was fascinating. And this morning... I had a breakfast that was just a, a piece of turkey and toast. People are like, oh, my God, so boring. But uh, but I, uh, I I smoked a turkey yesterday. It was so good, John. I wanted to have some sort of breakfast. So I took some turkey, and I had a piece of toast this morning. And when I was done, I grabbed a navel orange. And when I ate the orange, it tried really hard to push my blood sugar up. Um, you know, not immediately, but it was it was drastic. And my body attacked the drastic rise so much so that I was 74 straight down for a second before I leveled right back out at 80. It was amazing. I went from 74 straight down to 80 and stable in a five in oh one, my gosh. In one five, sec, five minute thing. So I saw my body go, oh, that's a lot of sugar from that orange. And, you know, he's already put this bread in here, I guess. You know, I don't obviously don't know exactly <laughs> how my body's thinking. But but the idea was I was you know, I was starting to push up a little from the bread, not greatly. But then I think when I added the the simple sugar, I just I got a really quick response, so I'm noticing that that every time I press with simple sugar, my body comes back more aggressively than it does with more complex carbs. Yeah. You know, boy, that's interesting. And and other people have described it to me where they'll um, they might have some indiscretion. They'll say, "I'm going to have a 24 ounce Mountain Dew," and you slam the sugary beverage, and you get this wonderful increase in sugar, which you can feel, and life is wonderful. And then what you described with the orange uh, happens uh, happens in a very dramatic way where the uh, insulin kicks in and then the sugar plummets and then all of a sudden you have the uh, the big crash after the, the sugar high comes the crash. Yeah. And that uh, I think that's a manifestation of uh, instability. Right. And um, same thing, you know, I'm, I'm going to make a quick little analogy to the cruise control on your, on your car. Um, what I hope for when I engage the cruise control on my car is, is just a smooth ride. Um, and I don't want the car to be slamming on the throttle and th slamming on the brake all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, I just want to be going at 65 all the way home. Um, so I, I, uh, I'm very sympathetic to your experience with, <laughs> with uh, high amplitude glycemic swings. It's, it's a common thing, especially in the world of type one diabetes where we're all taking insulin. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. I'll tell you, and I'll, then I'm going to let you get back to it. But the, the other thing that happened that I really didn't expect, but makes total sense is that for about the first 36 hours, I wore it. Every time I looked and saw my blood sugar stable, I had a horrible um, feeling of guilt. It was, it was really interesting because my daughter's had type one since she was two. She's 15. Now I have interactions with oh. tens of thousands of people who have diabetes and they all would just I don't, they would do anything to have that, you know, and it really, it really impacted me for, uh, in the beginning, I just was, I felt very guilty for my pancreas working. It was a, a weird feeling. So, um, but I'm sorry, I shouldn't derail you because we're talking about something that's, you know, you don't think is complicated, but trust me, I do. So I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't distract myself. Um, but we were talking again about, about people, you know, who have a functioning pancreas and you said, you know, let's pick 99 as that, as that that kind of center target and you can go to 92 or up to 106 and then explain again what I'm sorry where were you headed with that 
Oh, sure. Um, the value, I'm, I'm looking at a big article that came out a couple of years ago. They looked at 153 people without, uh, without diabetes, uh, and they put uh, glucose monitors on them, and they, they collected a bunch of data. And so the question, I guess the, the first question is, why would you care? Why would anybody bother? Uh, the answer is, well, we, we want to know what normal looks like so we can decide if, if a particular glucose profile is reassuringly normal or if there's something uh, going sideways on it. Uh, the 99 value from earlier is the mean. Uh, the standard deviation um, I gave you earlier is, is 7, and that tells you something about how wide the distribution is. So one standard deviation on either side of 99 would go from 92 on the low side up to 106 on the high side. That uh, mean plus or minus one standard deviation, the expectation is that uh, two-thirds of the values would fall in that uh, relatively narrow range. Uh, two standard deviations, uh, 99 plus 14 is 114, 113 on the high side, and then 99 minus 14, I guess, is 85, is that right, on the low side. So. 85 to 113, the expectation is that you would cover uh, an even higher percentage. I think 96% of the values would, would fall in that range. And if you go out even further to plus or minus three standard deviations, the expectation is that almost all the values, more than 99% of the values would fall within three standard deviations of that uh, central value, the mean. Um, so that's um, that's it in a nutshell. The calculation, um, it's not difficult. It's its not trivial, but it's not difficult. Um, I'm not sure if your audience would be interested in, in walking through it or, well, or just I'll, looking it up I'll on I'll tell uh, you right now, John, this is very much meant to be for people who are interested in that. So um, I have a, uh, a, a group of episodes. There's about 20 of them. They're called Pro Tips, and they are deep dives into specific things about type 1. And this is... This is one. So don't think of this as an interview as much as think of it as we are really trying to pick this apart so that when someone listens through, like, I'll be honest with you. Uh, in sixth grade, my guidance counselor told me I could take algebra. Halfway through algebra, I didn't understand algebra at all. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm terrible at math. Uh, I dropped out of it. It was a, a bad decision because I, I followed a much simpler math track the rest of my time, which probably wasn't necessary. And just now... As you were talking, I, you know, you set up this scenario and the standard deviation was plus or minus seven. And you started talking about out one standard deviation, two and three, and it just started to make sense to me. So you're doing a good job. Okay. Yeah. Trust me, if I understood what you just said, everyone listening has a chance to, to understand okay. it as well. <laughs> well, you're, you're very kind. And that's, I'm very pleased to think that, uh, we're, we're making progress toward the goal then. Good. Um, we can, um, uh, I can introduce the topic again and, and say the standard deviation is just a, a number that's used to describe a set of other numbers. Um, the standard deviation, there's a calculation for it. It's a little bit involved, um, but it involves, uh, first of all, calculating the mean for a population. Uh, the example that we used was the uh, the mean value for people without diabetes. It's 99. Mm -hmm. uh, you have quite a lot of values. You might have thousands or, or tens of thousands of values. Uh, and this is where it gets a little bit tedious. For every one of those individual values in the set that you want to describe, you have to calculate the difference from the mean. And the difference from the mean is either going to be a negative number or, or it's going to be a positive number depending on whether the, the individual value is higher or lower than the mean. Uh, you square that. 
So squaring a negative number gives you a positive number. Squaring a positive number gives you a positive number. So you're going to get another set of numbers, which is the squared difference from the mean. Um, and if you had uh, 10,000 values in the set, you're going to have 10,000 squared differences from the mean. You have to add them all up. You get a sum of squared differences, and then you divide it by <laughs> divide it by the number of observations in the set minus one. So uh, it's it's a, a pretty complicated when you try to describe it verbally. But if you were to look at it on a sheet of paper, you would say, oh, it's it's a series of steps. Uh, add up all the squared differences from the mean, divide it by a large number, one less than the number of observations in your sample, and then take the square root. And then once you've taken the square root, bingo, there's your standard deviation. So it's um, uh, it's a few steps, but it's uh, something that uh, kids probably learn and then probably forget just as quickly as they learned it in um, in middle school or, or high school algebra class. So how does so the it's, Clarity app like to simplify that all down, what is the Clarity app looking at when it tells me, you know, the, the standard deviation is 35? What, can you like distill it? What is it looking at to make that decision without the without the detail? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So the uh, the statistics page um, for the Clarity app gives you some summary statistics and just a quick little um, um operational note, I wonder if you're able to see my page that I'm trying to share with you on the Zoom meeting. Yep. Oh, good. Okay. Um, so uh, maybe you should ask your question again so we could uh, rejoin the the post-editing narrative. Oh, I just, no, I was, um, what I'm worried, what I'm interested in is, is the, there's a Clarity app, obviously, and we, yep. and it tells me, oh, your standard deviation or your daughter's standard deviation is 35. And, or some people are like, oh, I'm struggling and, and you know, mine, mine's 65. And I heard from a woman the other day that told me her doctor told her that anything under 100 was okay, which she, yeah. she very smartly was like, I don't think that sounds right. Uh, but I want to know, like, what does it look at to tell me my standard deviation is 34? Like, like what oh, is sure. it taking into account? Oh, sure. Well, that's, um, I think I can uh, get that one answered pretty quickly. Um, we've got our statistics page, and, and if your audience wants to look at the Dexcom Clarity uh, web interface, there's a page all devoted to statistics. Um, looking right now at, at my statistics for, for Monday, and this is every Monday for the past 30 days, so there's uh, several Mondays in that sample. Mm -hmm. uh, I've got a total of 1,253 readings. And each one of those is an estimated glucose value. Uh, and then the summary statistics, the minimum 40, oh, that was scary. The maximum 244, huh. Um, so those are, those are not normal. Um, the mean value, 128, um, that's reassuring. And then the standard deviation, 34. So to get that 34, uh, the calculation that I just walked you through, which is look at every one of those 1,253 values, mm -hmm. get the difference from the mean, so do the subtraction 128 minus uh, a particular value, uh, you square each of those differences from the mean, add them all up, and then divide the total by um, 1,252. And once you've done that, you take the square root of it, and it's it's 34. So there's, uh, as I said, it's a little bit of uh, algebra, but it's, uh, again, the, the usefulness of it, uh, 128 plus or minus 34, 
tells you that uh, you would expect two-thirds of those glucose readings to be within one standard deviation of the mean. So 128 minus 34 is just 90-something, and then 128 plus 34 is 162. So you would uh, you would expect most of my sugars to be in that in that range. Take for a second um, in, in 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 any example. I, I know we're going to oversimplify, but describe what mean is. Oh sure, the mean um, it's also known as the average value. Uh, so if if you were to look at the uh, uh, NBA players, uh, you say, "Wow, NBA players are really tall." Uh, you might uh, express that in numbers by saying the average or the mean height of an NBA player is uh, six feet, six inches tall. So it's uh, another word for average. It's a particular kind of average, but we don't need to talk about the other kinds of averages. Um, mean is usually just the arithmetic mean. Right. You calculate it by adding up all the values and then dividing that total by the number of values. So what I have here, what I'm looking at in front of me, there's 1,253 readings. Um, there were 40 that were. Is that uh, under or is no. that under a certain number? Those 40. Oh yeah, we're we're looking at these rows in the in the statistics. Mm -hmm. The the number of readings 1,253. The bottom of uh, the minimum was 40. Uh, the maximum 244. Okay. Um, and the mean value 128. Gotcha. Um, so within. If I may, within those twelve hundred and fifty-three readings, there the high was two forty-four, the low was forty, but on average, this person's blood sugar was one hundred and twenty-eight. Uh, that's a that's a nice way to do it, and okay. yeah, we're we're looking at uh, we're looking at my readings from the past uh, month or so. Oh, these so are you? Me. Oh, oh my gosh. Um, are are you? Do you have type one? I do. I've I've been living with type one for most of my life for past forty five years, and okay. uh, so far so good. John, I yeah, thought you were showing that? me like an example page. I didn't realize we were looking at your blood sugars. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, yeah, you can spy on me. Uh, you can uh, you can look at my summary statistics here. We can we can continue uh, with the summary statistics page. Yeah, uh, I, if and, you'd I like to. and I'm going to have some questions about it when you're done. But please keep keep going. Oh sure, um, and and this is. Incredibly number, it's it's a very useful way to get a numerical description of other numbers. Um, and so far, so good. You know, here's here's a guy, John Welsh, who is this clown anyway, and what is he doing talking about his uh, glucose numbers? Um, so John's um, had a, at least one time where he went all the way down to 40, but the mean value 128 is reassuring. Um, and then we get down to some other statistics that uh, talk about the median value. The median value is the um, the value above above which and below which half of the values occurred. So in my case, the median is 122, and that tells you that half of my readings were above 122. And half of my readings were below 122. So that's another measure of central tendency. Um, the uh, and it's usually expressed um, alongside uh, the interquartile range. And so you look at the um, the value that is 75% uh, of the way to the top. So 75% of the values are below it. 25% are above it. And in my case, the um, the 75th uh, percentile is 153. The 25th percentile is 103. So you can say with uh, with some confidence that half of my values were between 103 
and 153. And those are the 25th and 75th percentiles. And the, uh, the interquartile range here is given as 50, and that's just the difference between 153 and 103. Can I ask a question here? If, if, yeah. if, if half of those were ranged between 103 and 153, I'm assuming that the other half are how we arrive at the standard deviation of 34. Like, I'm assuming you need that information, too, to come back to the standard deviation? Oh, no. No, uh, no the, standard deviation, uh, the standard deviation relies on all values, and it doesn't, um, it doesn't care so much about the distribution. It just cares about how far from the mean value uh, the values are. Okay. So there's, um, uh, there's, there's another point that I want to make, which is, the the median value in my case 122, mm-hmm. the mean value is 128. Um, a lot of times those are very close together, uh, but sometimes they're very far apart. And and there's some special circumstances where the mean value is much much different than the median value. And and we can talk about those if if you think it's interesting. I wonder what I do want to know is um is how much of sensor like so. You know, I've my daughter's been wearing a Dexcom since seven, maybe Dexcom seven or seven plus back then. And so Great. obviously we see things at every generation improve and improve and improve. But I could still say that for Arden in the first number of hours, you know, that you put on a new sensor, it's not as I don't know, it's not as tight with its understanding of your blood sugar as it maybe is on, you know, day two or like, you know, where there's a sweet spot through the middle where it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Arden uses a Contour X one uh, blood glucose meter, which is incredibly accurate. And for a large part of her sensor wear, the meter and the CGM are spot on with each other. They're within a couple of points. And when you're mm-hmm. managing type one, there's a ton of like good feeling about that, knowing that, you know, she wakes up in the morning and it says her blood sugar is 96. Now, whether or not her blood sugar is really 85 or it's really you know, uh, I don't know, 104, it, to me, is of no real consequence. It's it's in that space, and I'm thrilled with that. Then I put it on, and I don't have diabetes, and I wake up, and it says my blood sugar is 94, and I think, oh, my God, I've been fasting all night, and I'm 94, and I do a finger stick, and I'm 85. It's amazing that those seven points to a person without diabetes is is it's a different impact than it is to a person <laughs> with it, right? And so... <laughs> It is. Seriously, like I wake up in the morning, I'm 94. I'm like, well, I guess that's it. I'll just eat lettuce till I die. Like, you know, like, like it's just, it feels like that immediately. And, um, sure. but I take a, but that same information coming from my daughter, I am completely comforted by, not just comforted by it, but it leads me in my understanding of how to manage her insulin and, and to her health and everything. My question is, is that knowing that the sensor is a little, um, you know, on the, on the edges, it struggles a tiny bit more than it does in the middle. Is there something about my data that I can't look at too micro? Like, do I have to, like, how much time do I really need before the inconsistencies in the data and the consistencies in the data balance out to where it doesn't matter that it's not all perfect? Does that make sense? Oh, that's, yeah, that is a very common question. And I, I don't have a, I don't have a good answer. I, I can tell you how I deal with imprecise measurements Please. in my own life. And and I've got a, I had a wonderful bike ride yesterday um, here in San Diego, and I've got a fancy bike that has a built-in speedometer. It's based on 
how many uh, how many times the wheel uh, completes a revolution. So there's a speed sensor built into the into the wheel, and based on that, you can calculate your speed. And I've got another uh, fancy thing in my phone where you can uh, get your speed based on satellite data from your global positioning satellite system. Mm-hmm. And and I looked at it and I found myself uh, chugging along the road and and the um, the the speeds you want to guess if if they were exactly the same no they weren't right. um, I was going 20 miles an hour if you look at the the wheel sensor I was going 21 miles an hour if if you look at the GPS coordinates so measuring your blood sugar and seeing one number and then looking at your CGM and seeing another number. Um, and and it's frustrating because there's no good way to uh, to know how excited or how concerned to be about discrepancies. There's always going to be discrepancies. It's a rare thing when when the uh, blood sugar tells you you're 105, and then you get that 105 from the CGM. Right. Um, and and I I don't want to give medical advice over the phone like this, but. Uh, there is the the possibility that you could calibrate your your G6 and and uh, based on the your confidence in a blood glucose meeting reading you could say oh my my G6 is reading a little bit low I'm going to calibrate it and then bring it back into better alignment with the uh, with the blood glucose meter so I I know it's frustrating I wish I had a better uh, I wish we had better devices for for measuring glucose with even more precision. Dude, are you kidding? Um, They're amazing. The- You've had diabetes forever. <laughs> you know how amazing this stuff is. Just because you work there doesn't mean you can't say that. And it's actually been very interesting for me because of the pro doesn't allow you to uh, calibrate, or at to least cal- my, it, it, I just had to go with it. And it really sure it, it was it was it was interesting to live in the space because. For my first maybe 18 hours, the glucose monitor was reading about 10 to 12 points higher than what the finger stick was. It was pretty consistent for those few hours. Uh And I found myself thinking, if this was my daughter and I put a brand new CGM on her that thought she was 110 when she was 91, I'd be like, oh, my God, this is the most amazing thing ever. I love this thing. It's so amazing. Except, you know, when I didn't have diabetes, I was like, is my pancreas not working? You know, like it very like it's a, it was just such a very different thing. But beyond that initial feeling, it really did just cement my idea of how much I love this technology. And and because I can remember managing my daughter's blood sugar without a glucose monitor and to think that she'd be stable at 110 or 91 ever for hours and hours at a time is insane. But. It would just never happen. But over these last few days, we've been eating the same meals, and her care is so dialed in, due to a large, due in large part to the information that comes back from the Dexcom, that her blood sugars and mine are largely matching before and after meals. <laughs> Congratulations, and, and cool. that's uh, that's just that's wonderful news, and. You know, it's uh, and I'm totally with you. We uh, we can talk about the bad old days when when you had to uh, uh, make a make a guess, and and a lot of times it was not a very good guess based on just a urine dipstick. And you could say, oh, I'm, I'm spilling sugar into my urine, and I need more insulin, and you would have to make a guess. Um, right. And some of the highs and lows were were pretty scary, and and people. Um, you know, sad sad to say that, that people are still dying from insulin overdoses. Insulin, let me check, it's a poison uh, and it can kill you. 
and there's um, there's a lot of uh, downside risk to insulin, even though it's uh, a huge blessing. We're coming up on the 100-year anniversary of the commercialization of insulin, so uh, I'm, we're, we're all going to celebrate and be thankful for the commercialization of insulin and the okay. fact that we're not dead. But it's um, it's a tough disease, and you wouldn't um, you wouldn't wish it on anybody because it's really a lifetime burden. I just uh, had a, but I'm I'm really pleased. Thank yeah. you. I just had a conversation uh, briefly online with a woman this morning who, even with all the technology, gets incredibly low every day. So I was turning her on to the podcast. I was like, "This doesn't need to be. You're just you're not using your insulin correctly, and it's not that it's not that <laughs> difficult to figure out how." You know, so I I, I turned her on some stuff. Listen, I I have an idea here. Can I hit you with some? questions and see if you have answers to them. These are questions that came from listeners. And, um, uh, sure. And, and I'm not asking you now, I understand you're a doctor. Um, but I'm not asking you that way. I'm asking you based on this information, this data and how much you've seen it. Do you see, do you see information in the data that would help people with the things that they're concerned about? So the first one's simple. Do you know what a non type one standard deviation usually is? Is there a range where it usually falls? Uh, for example, somebody with type two, no, no, no. Just someone who doesn't have diabetes at all. Do you know where, like, like where? Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, um, yeah. So we, we've got a, um, um, we've got some data from a, a big study of 153 people without diabetes. Uh, their standard deviation was, was seven, seven. Okay. Um, yeah. okay. Is there, um, let's see how they want to say this here. So this is a type one question. Somebody, somebody's asking um, if there's a lot of variability within the good range, say like a, like seventy to one twenty. This person's kind of bouncing between seventy and one twenty. They're what they want to know for their health, and maybe you don't know, but would they be better off sitting at one twenty than they would be from going up and down between seventy and one twenty? Oh, I, I think so. And there's um, this kind of leads into another uh, number that you can get with the. Um, the summary sheet at the ambulatory glucose profile is something that Dexcom has. Uh, it's um, it's not exclusive to Dexcom, but it's called the AGP, the ambulatory glucose profile. <laughs> what poet the number names that these might... things, John? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you, you really got to get a creative in charge of the, in medical in general, in, in charge of the stuff that that goes back and touches people. A ambulatory glucose. Pro I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> There's there's a lot of syllables there, um, and and there's a whole industry for you know if you come up with a new drug you have to hire a marketing firm to come up with a name for your for your new drug, um, but but there's a digression for you. Um, anyway, the the numbers um, uh, the numbers that are on the top line of the ambulatory glucose profile, the average is there, the the time and range is there. There's another uh, number here, which is the the standard deviation, and then the coefficient of variation, and that's a number that uh, I think has has a lot of usefulness because it tells you uh, how big is your standard deviation compared to the mean value. Mm -hmm. And there's some clinical implications for that. A, a high a high coefficient of variation is dangerous because it puts you at very much increased risk for dangerously low events for for hypoglycemic misadventures. So the the coefficient of variation uh, again looking at my own data uh for the past 30 days my coefficient of variation 31.3. And is that good or bad or indifferent? Uh, it's it's higher than I'd like it. Um mm -hmm. but is it dangerous? And there was a, a fun article a 
fun, I don't know, but uh, useful anyways. The the useful article came out a couple of years ago, and some folks in France and the UK uh, came out with an article in Diabetes Care, and they, they said uh, CV, uh, coefficient of variation, of 36% is a threshold to distinguish between stable and unstable sugars. Because beyond this limit, the frequency of hypoglycemia is significantly increased. And and if this, um, my own CV here, 31.3%, uh, that's reassuring. It's low, which is good. And it's less than 36%, which tells you that I'm, uh, I could still go low. But the fact that this CV is less than 36% is reassuring. Uh, I went to see my endocrinologist and he said, hey, John, keep up the good work. Uh, you're probably not going to die of hypoglycemia before the next time I see you. And and that was, so, all right, thanks. We'll see you in six months. <laughs> yeah. Well, John, you yeah. know what's interesting that I see with my daughter, who is, a, you know, a, a woman, a burgeoning woman, um, is that with our care, the same exact care we use on weeks and days where she's not impacted by hormones, Arden's um, standard deviation is 24-ish. But, oh my gosh, that's terrific. Thank you. But that's not why I'm telling you that. What I'm telling you that is because, although I appreciate it, why I'm telling you is because that when she is impacted with hormones, the run-up to her period, for example, her deviation jumps up to 45. And, it, and our no tools kidding. aren't different. Her meals don't vary. It's just she needs more insulin, and it sometimes takes a couple of days for you to realize that that's happening. And then once it's happening to remember it's happening to remember like, you know, Oh, you know, my ratios are telling me this much insulin, but it's four days before I'm going to get my period. So it needs to be more. It's difficult to recall all that, you know, constantly, but it's fantastic to, it's interestingly fantastic to see because if Arden was a boy, I think I would have a son with a, with a standard deviation pretty consistently within 24 until they hit, I'm assuming, puberty as well. Um, but you as a, it's just very interesting to look at your 30-day chart here. You're, you're, I know we're talking about it, so you don't mind, but your standard deviation is 42, um, and you're saying it's not where you want it, but it's also not terrible. Like People are trying to understand on the outside, what's the number that keeps them healthy, and what's the number where they think, you know, something else is going to happen. It is very simple in people's minds when they think about these numbers. Like, what do I got to hit? How do I get to it? Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think um, if um, uh, the the more useful number, and I think the one that is very convenient to have as a as a goal and is, is the coefficient of variation, and that's just a ratio. It's the standard deviation divided by the mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and aiming for something less than 36% would be... Uh, would be a reasonable, would be a, a terrific goal. And if I were still seeing patients, I would say, here's uh, your your coefficient of variation is 40%. Let's look more carefully at the trajectories or, or at the, this is called a modal day plot. And I'm sure your audience has, has seen this. Yeah. It uh, it lays out the the clock time here on the bottom axis and then the glucose values on the vertical axis. And you can see the median value here in the bold line right in the middle. Um, and then you can see the the shading here. The blue shaded area uh, covers 50% of the values, and then the area in between the dotted lines covers uh, 90%, or I'm sorry, 80% of the values. 
So uh, what what I'm looking for, or what I would be looking for if I were looking at somebody else's plot, is uh, a smooth ride. And sometimes you can identify uh, parts of the day where the ride is pretty bumpy. Uh, for example, uh, after lunch, uh, if if you're having lunch at your desk and you're not going for a walk and you're having the third slice of pizza, you might see spikes after lunch or dinner. Um, or you might see uh, plummeting lows after breakfast if you gave yourself too much insulin for breakfast, insulin to go with breakfast. Yeah. So I, I'm not um, the the standard deviation. If if you're always cruising around uh, a relatively high number like 170, the standard deviation is going to be bigger than if you're always cruising around at a much lower number like 110. Mm. <clears throat> so I'm um, the number that I think is more reasonable to target as a therapeutic goal is is the coefficient of variation. Okay. Under 36. Uh yeah, that's that seems to be the magic number and that's the consensus and and it's uh it should be achievable if you if you just pay attention to parts of the day where you might be having a bumpy ride, you can look at your behaviors, look at your the response to your behaviors and say, "You know what? Uh I think I will instead of having <laughs> three slices of pizza, maybe I'll just have one. Mm -hmm. So CGM can be a wonderful uh, motivator. Uh, it can inform people. It can uh, motivate and reward uh, good choices. So I'm, uh, you can tell I'm a huge fan. I love uh, evangelizing this stuff. But you can learn from, you can really learn a lot from the numbers. And the numbers can uh, tell you, uh, if, if you pay attention to them, to the numbers themselves, and also to the summary statistics, like the standard deviation, you can learn quite a lot from them. Oh, I'm I'm a huge fan. I don't understand it obviously nearly as well as you do, but I, I know what it tells me. So, for instance, after Arden's my my poor daughter one day is going to listen back to this and be like, "How much did they talk about my period on that podcast?" But um, <laughs> a, a, after so the lead up to her period, there's like three or four days prior to it, she gets you know every, all of a sudden she needs way more insulin, and then in the first day or two of it. Uh, it happens still, but then there's a moment where it levels, like whatever happens is done. She's still, the period's still happening, but the, the hormonal impact seems to be gone out of her body. So let me give you an example, because it just happened yesterday for her. In the last 24 hours, Arden's estimated A1C is five, and her standard deviation is 24. Her average blood sugar is 98. But if I just go back seven days through her... um you know, through this lead up to this period, estimated A1C 5.8, standard deviation 43, average blood sugar 119. It's, and it's just the hormones. It's the lead up to her period. And so it, it's fascinating. And not that you don't know, but, and then there's another time of the month where it happens again to her for four or five days. But just those, just that week and then that other chunk. So basically what I think is about seven, eight, nine, probably 12 or 13 days of the month takes what would normally be, I, I think, a, 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 an SD, and like I said, in the mid-20s, and an A1C closer to five than six, and it moves her A1C more towards, like, her A1C pretty much sticks at, like, 5.6. It, it doesn't move very much. Um, okay. It, it It's just very, I, I don't know, like, I don't know what I would do before this information. No lie, prior to it, I wasn't a different person and we were not good at this at all. Just diabetes in general. Her, her A1Cs were in the eights. And then I finally got them into the sevens just by having, 
you know, uh, better tools, an insulin pump, and a glucose monitor, but I still didn't understand it enough to turn it into real, like, success, you know, like like the idea of knowing sure. when to bolus and, and that sort of thing. Um, but I know all that from this data now, and it's, uh, sure. it's incredibly beneficial. Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm with you a hundred percent on that. And I think for, um, my own, my own experience was, um, uh, in the, the bad old days before CGM, I was poking my finger and, and making a lot of guesses and it really got me interested in, in how the body works. And it was a great, um, great motivator all through college. And, uh, that was part of my story when I was applying to medical school and I'm, I'm not alone. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of physicians who specialize in in endocrinology and metabolism who also have type one diabetes. So yeah. um, my own story is is hey, this is really interesting. I want to learn about it, and I want to go to medical school. And and what do you know? The medical school here in town said, "All right, um, all right, come to medical school, and and you can learn um, you can learn quite a lot in medical school about about the disease itself and about how you measure." how you measure sugar and measure all the other important things that we care about in metabolism. So it's, uh, for me anyway, it was, uh, not just a life changing event when I got that diagnosis, but it also, uh, uh, sort of, uh, defined my career path, uh, toward, uh, toward becoming a physician and also to, to working here at Dexcom. Yeah. Hey, so that's fascinating. And I, I'm afraid I'm going to start talking to you and then lose track of what we're supposed to be doing. Cause it, I, <laughs> I had questions and I almost answered, asked them and I was like, Ooh, don't do that. Um, what kind, when you, when you, when this data is pulled together, given that there are, you know, blood sugar lags and meters aren't perfect and nothing's perfect. What, what's built in to deal with the error? To like, how does it come to the number and, and and take the the impreciseness out of it is it like like looking at yours for an ex- example your standard deviation is 42 what if 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 a dexcom was absolutely perfect if there was a, you know if it wasn't technology but it was it was your you know i don't know something organic that could know 100% for sure what all these measurements sure. are in your glucose all the time how far off do you think that number would be if you had perfection does that make sense? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. You're you're hypothesizing that there is some. There's a real answer. Uh, yeah, yeah, there is. There does exist some true number, and we're always trying to become more more accurate and getting closer to that true number. Right. Um, we are. Uh, we're never going to get there. Uh, you have to stipulate that we're always going to have some some wiggle and some imprecision, um, and that's I think true because nothing on this planet is perfect and and we have to if we get to heaven then then everything is perfect in heaven if we ever make it there i'll ask um, that that'll be my first question when i get there i'll be like what was my kids a1c <laughs> really <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that that's a whole nother uh, line of inquiry but uh we're, we're probably certainly within 10 percent. I, I think uh I'm, I'm confident that we're within 10 percent. i'm less confident that we're within five percent i would be surprised if we were within three percent, and I would be really astonished if if you told me it was within one percent. I would be astonished. So I'd, I've got some confidence uh, the for the ten percent uh, precision, and I've I've got some optimism that we can uh, usually get within five percent of the true value. Uh, those are just speculative numbers um, because there's no such thing as a perfect value. Even if even if you use the gold standard. 
uh, we could quibble about uh, any reference instrument. And this is one of the things they drilled into us during my residency training in laboratory medicine, which is, um, is there such a thing as a perfect measurement? Uh, no, not until we all die and go to heaven. Right. Um, while we're living on this earth, you have to deal with imprecision and uncertainty. But I think we're we're pretty good, and this, for purposes that we care about managing managing diabetes and living a long happy life, I think we're we're well within the realm of of good enough. And outcomes are are good based on what we know. Does does that mean from what you just said? If if at a forty two standard deviation, is it possible that your standard deviation is somewhere like thirty six or possibly like? I don't know, 48 or 47, or is it more likely it's lower or more likely it's higher? If it's, is there a likelihood that it's more one way than the other? Oh yeah. The, the standard deviation just tells you how, uh, how spread out the distribution is. And the, uh, the true standard deviation could be higher or lower because all the, the numbers that the standard deviation depends on, uh, could actually be uh, incorrect. So, um, I, I think, um, uh, yeah, that, that's a tough one. Let me, let me think about that. Yeah, please. I'm, I'm looking now at this, um, looking now at the standard deviation and this, uh, the famous bell curve, the, um, you know what the, uh, if I'm understanding your, your question correctly, um, could the standard deviation be something different? Use me, and, use me as an example in my situation right now. If I put on a sure. new CGM every 10 days, I, I wear three sensors a month, nine sensors over a three-month period. If I look back at my 90 days, my standard deviation, if my, if my sensor is reading just 10 points higher for the first, I don't know, just say 36 hours of every one of those things, am I more likely to look higher than I am or lower than I am because of that? Higher, right? Oh, uh uh, yeah, I think yeah. I think you would have a high. It's called a high bias. Okay. Um, yeah, but I, uh, your earlier question: Could the standard deviation be something other than the calculated result? I I, I think the answer is no. Um, if if you gave me uh, uh, the numbers from one to five, could the total be something other than fifteen? And I would say no. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the total of the integers from one to five is is fifteen. And if you give me a set of numbers, I can calculate the mean and the standard deviation. So I, I think the calculation that we've done here, uh, resulting in this standard deviation of 42, if if we did the math correctly, then the standard deviation is 42. Does the, the um, I'm sorry, does the algorithm that's making this decision, does it scrub anything? Like, um, you know, like a compression load, does it see that and go, oh, we're not going to take this into account? Does it do any of that kind of stuff? Oh yeah, uh, and that's I think that's true. Uh, that's got to be true for Medtronic. Uh, it's got to be true for Abbott. It's got to be true for Sensionics and also for Dexcom. We've got um, we've got algorithms. Um, the signal that we are measuring is actually a voltage. It's a it's I'm sorry, it's a, a current. So the current is very low. Uh, current usually measured in amperes, and and we're dealing with billionths of an ampere, I think a, a nanoampere or picoamperes, so incredibly small currents. Um, and the challenge for the engineers is to take that very small electrical current and translate that into a, a number that makes sense, a number of milligrams per DL. So that requires some uh, some engineering talent. 
and it requires an algorithm. And I, I think that's part of the secret sauce that we have here at Dexcom. Medtronic, I, I'm sure they have a algorithm which is similar but slightly different, and, and the same for Abbott and the same for Senseonics. And that's true uh, whenever you're measuring something and saying what you're measuring, you know, for the example of your uh, oven, if you're cooking your uh, cook, making your cookies, uh, you're measuring temperature. What you're really measuring is the height of the mercury in the thermometer. And the trust is that that's uh, a good representation of your temperature. And then going back to the bicycle uh, speedometer example, what it's really measuring is how fast the wheel is turning. Uh, and you're translating that revolutions per minute into a, a speed. So uh, it's it's a challenge to take a very small electrical current and turn it into a glucose value, and but that's uh, that's what we do, and I think that's what all the manufacturers have to do. It's amazing. And listen, we're one rabbit hole away from wondering <laughs> if we live in a simulation. So let me ask a more concrete question. <laughs> I'm ready. John, John, in, in, in 30 more minutes, we're going to be like, we're probably in the matrix. Uh, so uh, sure. just a real quick one. Canadians or people who are using other scales, did they multiply their standard deviation by 18 to get their answer? Um, like this person gave me an example, said their last standard deviation in Canada was 1.6. Do they multiply right. that by 18 to get the number that the way we're talking about it right now? Uh, they sure would, yeah. So the, the units for standard deviation, um, the standard deviation here in the U.S. is milligrams per DL. Um, outside the U.S., uh, the standard deviation is, is millimoles per liter, and the conversion factor is, is 18. Okay. Uh, so the standard deviations would be um, less by a factor of 18 in uh, places where they use millimoles per liter. The, and, and that's a, a good point. Thank you for bringing it up. And the point is that what would not change is the coefficient of variation. So if, if you were to take all my numbers or if, if I were lucky enough to be a Canadian and measuring my sugars in millimoles per liter, um, I would still have um, this coefficient of variation of 31.3%. That would not change. I see. Because you're dividing um, milligrams per DL uh, in the numerator, milligrams per DL in the denominator, and those uh, units would would cancel them out. Coefficient of variation. There's no units for that. It's it's just a percentage. I'm glad you said that, or some person in Saskatchewan was going to take their coefficient and multiply it by 18, and and, ah. and, and panic. <laughs> no, no, that's great to know. And and thank you for knowing it. By the way, when I asked the question, I appreciate that. Oh, it's a good one. You know, if you if you got a if you were to travel to Japan, you would trade your dollars for yen, and and you would find yourself a hundred times more wealthy. Um, because you can buy uh, you can buy about a hundred yen with a dollar, but wait, everything's a hundred times more expensive. So, <laughs> well, so let me make sure I'm understanding exactly. So, coefficient of variant variation we're talking about under 36 really lessens your possibility of low blood sugars. Um, standard deviation shows us how much stability we have, right? Like like our, keeping mm -hmm. our variability lower. What is A1C measuring? Oh, like in, um, in terms of our health. Sure. Oh yeah, A1C. There's, uh, I I love A1C. I want to strangle it and drown it in a bathtub. I uh, A1C has been with me for a long time. It's a biomarker. It's um, hemoglobin. Obviously, is the protein that 
fills up uh, your red cells. It's got the, the red color because it's got iron in the middle of it. It's got an iron atom, and it's the same color as rust. Um, the uh, hemoglobin A1C, the A part of it refers to the A chain. Uh, there's an A chain and a B chain. Um, the hemoglobin A1 refers to the uh, the first amino acid in the A chain of hemoglobin, and the C refers to the isoform, if, if you want to know, it refers to the isoform of altered hemoglobin that travels on uh, chromatography. Anyway, uh, that's that's the long answer. The short answer is that hemoglobin A1C is a um, abnormal form of hemoglobin that has a sugar atom stuck onto it. And having that sugar, I'm sorry, sugar atom, it's a sugar molecule okay. stuck onto it. Um, and it's, it's a nice indicator of how your ambient glucose concentrations have been going over the past two or three months. The downside of having a high A1C is that um, hemoglobin A1C molecules behave a little bit differently. And they're also uh, markers that things are going haywire in other parts of your body, uh, other proteins in your vasculature, in your kidneys, and your liver might be getting decorated with sugar molecules when they really shouldn't be. Mm. So uh, having having a very high hemoglobin A1C number tells you that quite a lot of your hemoglobin molecules are traveling around with this kind of gooey, sticky sugar molecules stuck onto them. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I, I, it's, it's not my favorite biomarker. Uh, mm -hmm. What's your favorite biomarker, John? <laughs> um, there's, there's ways that you can fool the hemoglobin A1C test, and we can talk about those. Uh, there's some, some people have problems with red cell production or red cell destruction that would throw it off. So you can really be misled by an A1C number. It can be too low, and you can say, ah, you're doing just fine. Your A1C is in the normal range when it should be much higher. And then on the flip side, you can see an A1C. Uh, some people have A1C values that are unexpectedly high compared to what their average glucose values are. Yeah. So it can it can mislead you in a couple of different ways. Um, I'm a much... Uh, much more enthusiastic about just using the average glucose value that you get from a CGM system to okay. assess the adequacy of your glycemic control. Is that okay? Uh, you know, it's interesting. You made me think of uh, last year. I suffered. I had my ferritin was very low, and it's it. You know, at first everyone, the doctors thought I had cancer, and we did all these things, and it turns out I just had low ferritin, and so I got an infusion of of. Um, uh, what do they call it? It's uh, I can't think of it now. It's iron, and it's a, it's a mix. It looks like a rusty bag of water, and um, and it <laughs> popped it back up. But during that time, uh, what I was told was we can't trust your A one C right now because of your low ferritin. And I was like, huh. Uh -huh. And I didn't dig too deeply into it, but something you just said now made me think of it again. Um, and then it made me think about how you know measurements, right? And we you always get um. You could use anything as an example. My daughter uh, has hypothyroidism, but when we first figured it out by her symptoms, the doctor's office looked and said, well, she's low, but she's in range. We don't want to do anything. And we mm -hmm. made them give her uh, you know, the hormone then because we had an ex uh, experience with my wife who was low in, in range and they would never help her and it really hurt her over time. And so it made me wonder, especially for you know 
women in a menstruation age, is it possible that they have an A1C that looks better than it is if they have lower ferritin? Just like there you go, mm-hmm. there you go. There's that's another of all the ways that A1C could be misleading. That's one. Um, that's uh, that's that's one of them. And I'm thinking um, my own experience. I used to be a really avid blood donor. And and I thought, oh, you know what? If I if I were to donate two units of blood, and then wait around for a couple of weeks, and then get my A1C measured, uh, that would falsely lower the A1C because as soon as I donate two units of blood, my uh, my bone marrow is going to wake up and say, oh my gosh, John, you did something either stupid or crazy or or really altruistic by donating those two units of blood. We have to ramp up production. And we're going to flood your system with brand new red cells. Mm. So after two weeks after donating the blood, um, I would have uh, a population of red cells which were relatively young and had not had a chance to get glommed onto by the sugar molecules. And my A1C would be uh, falsely low. And I say, yep, I can sure game the system that way. And that's the same for people who undergo acute blood loss. The A1C would be... um, falsely decreased within a couple of weeks once the red cell production line kicks into gear. And then uh, people who have um, uh, shortened red cell lifespans, uh, there's there's some conditions, uh, a lot of syllables, but uh, hemoglobinopathies. If your hemoglobin, if your red cells are, are not up to the task and if they're prematurely destroyed, you would have a very low A1C and it would be uh, misleading if you were trying to manage diabetes based on that. No kidding. So, okay. So you as a person who's had type one for a long time and is a physician, and I think we didn't really dig into it, but it sounds like you used to help people with type one as well when you were practicing. Is that right? Oh, you know, um, indirectly, I, I, uh, I specialized in laboratory medicine and also anatomic pathology. So I would, uh, I would look at disease and I would measure disease. And then I, uh, uh, and then I went to (laughs) Uh, anyway, so I, I never directly took care of people who okay. were uh, who needed insulin management. But for yourself, then let me just ask yourself. Then I guess it makes more sense it, with your background and how much time you spend digging around in this data. How do you measure your success? Like, which one of these? I know there's going to be a grouping of them here, but but can you tell me what you look at every time you look at your data? Just to, when you want to look and go, oh, I need to do a little more, a little less, like. What what is it your where do you focus and is there any way to put them in descending order? Oh um, well, I I am I'm getting old. Every if you wait long enough, everybody's going to get old. Um, I, I used to worry quite a lot about my A1C and and now I I really don't care. I, what I focus on mostly is is the average glucose and the the example that we're looking at now is 133, which which is wonderful. Um, and beyond that, I, I try not to rank myself. I try not to compare myself to my peers. Uh, here at Dexcom, we've got some um, some very talented folks with type 1 who are uh, even more dialed in than I am. If it, if it seems like I know what I'm doing, there's people down the hall who are even better. And then there's people in the community who, who are... Uh, need some advice, and and that's the mandate. I say, you know what, I'm I'm doing fine, but let's um, let's see if there's problems that I can address. So, I, I look at my average sugar. I, I look at the time high and low, uh, time and range. In the example that we're looking at, 85.9% is pretty good. 
Um, and then I also look at, at the, uh, the amount of uh, trouble and strife that it causes me. And I try to minimize that. Um, I try to settle in on a good routine that doesn't cause me too much trouble and strife. And uh, finally, after 45 years, I've, I think I've found a good routine for managing my own diabetes. That's amazing. That, that's, I think, what people need to hear, too. It's funny, as you were saying all that, <clears throat> I was looking at, at my daughter's 90, like, I, I went to 90 days on her information, because you said average blood sugar, and, and yeah, it, um, her average blood sugar has been 115 over the last 90 days, with an, an estimated A1C 5.6, but her standard deviation over that time is, like I said, it's, it's 45, and is that... Should I be more concerned about that? Well, here's uh, here's an important question, um, and it, it relates to the time that she spends really low. And, and I wonder if there's numbers for either time less than seventy or or time less than fifty four, because because those are have those it. are things that can cause trouble in a hurry. Yeah, being I, being less than fifty four is kind of dangerous. I have I have her range set um, as. 65 to 120 she's nine percent low 54 percent in range and 37 percent high but she does not get for the most point we don't go over about 180 ever and mm -hmm. under 55 i don't think happens twice a month maybe and okay. not for long periods of time not like under 55 and falling where people are running around the house you know looking for the will and stuff like that just you know like right. a dip down that you caught a little too late and uh and it, it'll go to 55 and hang and come back up but yeah you know, we don't let her there sit under that number um but i look at her standard deviation all the time and i, I i'm always just like uh that's where i need to do better but like i said you know for half of the month that standard deviation is 24 and then mm -hmm. during her you know her hormonal times throws throws that number off like is that number less scary because she's a girl than it would be if she was a boy i know that's a weird question but <laughs> but because of I, you know what i mean um well i i i don't know if i'm uh, i'm going to take issue with your premise i uh, what you told me was is that number scary and i I, I don't think so. I, I don't think that's a scary number at all. Okay. Uh, just based on the fact that she is uh, so dialed in that she has um, almost continuous awareness of, of where she is. Um, and she's got uh, good access to uh, to her family and to you and and good access to, uh, to candy if she needs it. So uh, it doesn't sound like she's in harm's way uh, at all. Um, the, the thing that... Um, you know, there's there's some things that are um, absolutely dangerous. Uh, one is one is going low and finding yourself uh, waking up with a crowd of people trying to resuscitate you is is a terrible misadventure because you you went low and you ignore the symptoms and guess what? You had a seizure, you lost consciousness, you bonked your head, and now the EMTs are out. That's a scary misadventure. So I uh, I think if um, and you told me earlier she's she's had it for uh, quite a long time. She was diagnosed when um, she was two, and she's going to be sixteen next month. Okay, yeah. uh, so fourteen years fourteen years into it. Um, hopefully, all the autonomic uh, counterregulatory hormones are, are intact, and I hope they stay that way. So the hypoglycemia awareness, uh, I, I hope, is uh, fully intact, and the counterregulatory hormones that that would kick in to bring her sugar back toward the normal range, I, I hope, are intact. 
the um, the coefficient of variation. You mentioned earlier the standard deviation uh, for your daughter, and and remind me of the coefficient of variation. Oh, let me get it for you. It does uh, similarly change with uh, with what's happening in her. I have it at ninety days as thirty nine percent. In the last week, in the last week, thirty six percent. But if I go into just the last three days, where, like I said, the impact from her hormones is gone, it's thirty percent. Oh, okay. Wow. So sometimes, uh, sometimes it gets above that uh, arbitrary number of thirty six percent. So there's some stretches of time where the variability is uh, is in excess. And it's it's important to note that so. My daughter now for over six years has had an A1C between 5'2 and 6'2. And we don't sure. restrict her diet in any way. So she'll have <laughs> pancakes, you know, uh, for breakfast on a Sunday morning uh, just as easily as this morning. Like I said, she had, you know, an avocado avocado toast. And so, you know, she she's all over the place with what she eats. She'll have nights where she just has a big salad for dinner and nothing else. Last night she had some turkey and a small amount of potatoes, but when dessert came out, she wasn't interested. And so she's I would I call I would call her eating healthy and varied um and not excessive. She's not a sweets person. Like she's she'll trick or treat, but that's to hang out with her friends and she comes home and doesn't know mm-hmm. what to do with the candy. You know, like that that's <laughs> sort of an idea. Um but, you know, I'm trying to talk through her to everybody so that everybody can kind of get a feeling for how they should feel about this information for themselves personally. Um, sure. Yeah. Well, there's, um, there are some things, um, and, and we, we spend a lot of time looking at data here. We've got some data science people who built their career on looking at data. There's a couple of comments that might, that might be helpful, and one is to... Um, to look for opportunities to lower the standard deviation, lower the coefficient of variation. One is uh, to see if there's any evidence of overtreating highs or lows, mm-hmm. and sometimes those really jump out. If if you look at the um, the hourly plot, we call it the modal day plot. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you'll see, oh, here's here's something where I I know I know where I I went sideways on this. I know I had. Uh, the the big snack after lunch I shouldn't have. Oh, there were free donuts in the conference room. I should have said no to those donuts. So th- sometimes there's um, opportunities for looking at your data, uh, not the numbers, but just looking at the the image of the 24-hour stretch of, of daytime. You say, wow, there's a big spike there uh, in the early morning hours. Maybe I had too much uh, snack before I went to bed. Maybe I had too much. Uh, my own case, I had uh, a habit of taking too much fast-acting insulin uh, to cover breakfast, and I would always go low around nine o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. So, being uh, looking at the data uh, not just as numbers but as a, a graph can be very helpful, and it can reveal opportunities for uh, making adjustments. And if uh, if the standard deviation is in in the high range, if the coefficient of variability is in the high range. Then it deserves some some careful consideration about wow, this is a bumpy ride. Are there any particular times of the day that you would like to address with your um, uh, and might be really amenable to to making thoughtful changes? Can, uh, can I ask, uh, given how the numbers are calculated, if how much is that all? Uh, what's my question? Are any of the numbers based off of the 
the range that I've set up. So get, keeping in mind that my daughter's range is on my phone, it's 65 to 120. On her phone, I think mm-hmm. it's 70 to 130. And so on her phone, which is the one that, you know, her clarity accounts connected to and everything, if my daughter's blood sugar is quite literally between 75 and 110 for two thirds of the day, but she has two big meals that spike her to 180, but she's not more, she's not at that 180 for more than an hour and comes back down without getting low. Do those numbers look artificially inflated if that's how it works for her sometimes? Um, the, uh, uh, I think your question is, what are the numbers that you see in the, in the clarity report or the clarity summary? And, uh, the, the time in different ranges, you can, you can set those, you can customize the ranges that you want to see for, and you can do that in the daytime and the nighttime. So my, so the ranges that if yeah. I changed her range, this might be a stupid question, but if I pushed my daughter's high number up to 180, would her standard deviation fall? Oh, uh, no, it would not. Okay. Uh, no, the standard deviation doesn't care whether a number is in the range. The range that you set is, is pretty arbitrary. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, can, you can turn that dial up or down. Uh, the, the range that you set within Clarity just tells you when are you going to get beeped and what are the summary statistics for time and range going to look like. none of the data is based uh, off of those ranges. Got it. That's okay. right. Great. That's right. The, the standard deviation, coefficient of variation... Those numbers are um, those are not subject to change by just changing the uh, the alerts or the uh, the target ranges. I see. Okay, um, and they're based off of what quote unquote normal would be. Is that right? Oh, um, actually, not the no. the normal range I, I mentioned earlier. The the normal range um, is is no more than one hundred and twenty, okay. um, and at at the moment i'm just leaning over and checking my sugar right now uh is it's 109 um but um for the most part having having a sugar of 150 would not be concerning i don't think for any endocrinologist if if you were to cruise around at 150 all day every day mm-hmm. uh the endocrinology community would say you're doing a good job your a1c is likely close to 7% and your risk of long-term complications is close to baseline, close to what the non-diabetic population would have. So that would be very reassuring, even if you're having an abnormally high glucose number. I got, mm-hmm. a, I got a call once. I, I did uh, some lab tests and uh, for a different occasion, and the nurse called me up and said, uh, John, I've got some very concerning news. Your, your glucose is 123. And I thought, well, well, what's concerning about that? <laughs> and and she said, well, it's it's higher than normal. And and I said, well, I have type one diabetes. And and as soon as she heard the fact that I had type one diabetes, she said, oh, well, you're boring. Have a nice day. Goodbye. So you're making um, me think so, of uh, my daughter had to give urine one time, and I left the the room where I dropped it off and didn't tell the nurse she had diabetes. And I walked halfway down the hall and ran back because. I was worried for the nurse and she was running out of the room at the same time. And I looked at her and I went, she has type one. And she goes, oh, oh okay. And then she, <laughs> she, she goes back in the room. Um, let me re-ask my question because I have it in my mind and maybe uh, I right, might I'm, ask another dumb question here. Trust me, it's very possible. I'm ready. So, so Arden's blood sugar does sit in the 80s for most of the time. But, sure. and, and like I said, sometimes she'll hit 180 on a couple of meals. 
what if her blood sugar always sat at 120 and sometimes hit those 180s? Would that make her standard deviation lower? Um, uh, I don't think, um, I, I don't know. I don't think you've given me enough information to ask that question. We could, um, we could do some numerical simulations, which would be interesting, but maybe a quite a digression. Um, I don't think we can tell for sure just based on what you told me. So it's, it's a, a big question mark right now. I, I'd have to punt and say, I don't know. That's fine. I'm trying to, I can't wrap my head around my own question, which is frustrating, as you may imagine, and a limitation of my intelligence. But I'm trying to, I'm trying to decide how, you know, a, so, so you don't, I know you've heard a couple episodes of the show, John, but you don't listen to the show. And I actually would like to send you a, a short list of episodes and, and let you listen to them and hear what you think of them. But um, most of the people who listen to this podcast, I would assume, have an A1C in the fives, or I would think over six and a half for somebody who's been listening more than three months would be uncommon. And wow. the, the basic tenet of the podcast is that you don't, you don't stare at a high blood sugar. You get it back down without causing a low. And there's ways to use insulin, you know, with the data that, that makes that work. Um, mm -hmm. So we, you know, we're pretty heavily talking here about make sure your basal insulin's right. Pre-bolus your meals. Uh, don't stare at a high blood sugar. Um, you know, don't cause a low. Bump and nudge with insulin. You know, if you, after a meal, at a meal time, you know, 45 minutes after you eat, if you're 136 diagonal up, we bump it back down again. If you're 85 diagonal down, that turns into 80 that you think, oh, this is going to keep going. You don't wait to see a 60. You take in a few carbs and nudge that, that blood sugar back up again. It's a like driving between two lines. You know what I mean? Like you don't want to mm -hmm. swerve. You just want to kind of try to stay as steady as possible. And we talk about a lot about how to use insulin, temporary basal rates, both positive and negative and food in ways that keep those swings from being crazy. And yet there are people who come back with amazing A1Cs who don't get low very often, but have a couple of spikes with larger meals. And these numbers that everyone's telling them are super important, uh, you know, standard deviation, they, they can't seem to get into the space that they want. And then they start thinking about limiting food to make that happen. And I, I think there, I think this podcast has a lot of different goals, but one of them is for you to understand insulin enough that you can eat what you want to eat. And I'm not saying that everyone should run out and eat those donuts at the conference table. Like that's not my point. My point isn't, I, I'm not a person who says, Oh, you have diabetes. You know, don't ever think of, you know, don't ever think about your your health. Just eat whatever you want because insulin can take care of it. My point is that if you understand how to use insulin, then you can go off into the world and with a diet of your choosing, keep your blood sugars in a more normal range and extend your health. Um, but I'm baffled a little by my daughter's standard deviation. All the other numbers make sense to me, but that one number, I can't wrap my head around. Um, that's all. <laughs> Yeah, and and you mentioned uh, you mentioned the hormonal changes that come by every month, and and sometimes the uh, the good control becomes uh, more of a challenge, obviously, mm -hmm. and the coefficient of variability goes up, and and then unfortunately, the having a high coefficient of variation gives you a, a higher risk of of symptomatic or potentially dangerous lows, mm -hmm. but but uh, so it's it's especially important to. To have that awareness of of misadventures on the low side, 
um, especially during that time of the month where the the swings are especially high amplitude. Yeah. Um, the um, but the goal is, as you said, I, I think the goal is to to spend most of your time um, out of harm's way and to live a long, happy life where your retinas uh, your retinas last your whole life and your kidneys are going to last your whole life and you're going to die with all 10 of your toes uh, where they belong at the end of your feet. So uh, it sounds like she's uh, well on the way, and especially the education that you've been giving her and the insights that she's been getting from from CGM oh, I agree. Uh, sound like I they've agree. been tremendously helpful. I appreciate it. John, I just did something that I'm so, I feel badly about, but because you're sharing your screen, I can't see my screen. And I just realized oh. that I've had you on for an hour and 20 minutes. I'm so sorry. I didn't even, I am really enjoying this and I didn't, I didn't recognize about the passage of time. I hope I haven't kept you from something. You're not just being polite to me. Oh, um, well, let me, you know, I think I had something at, uh, I did have something else on the calendar and I hope I'm not, um, let me check my little outlook here. You can see my calendar. Uh, there's something coming up at uh, at noon, so maybe we ought to. I'm going to let you go. Is what I was going to say. Yeah, 100. percent I oh, just right. I just looked at my phone to look at that, something about Arden to say to you, and I was like, oh my gosh, uh, I'm, I'm, you're going to crucify me. I've been I've had you way too long. Listen, this was incredibly interesting, and I can't really thank you enough for doing it because it, you know. It's not something everyone jumped up to do when I said, can I get somebody who really understands standard deviation to talk on the podcast? <laughs> there wasn't a long line of people with their hand up, you, you know, uh, so I really, I genuinely appreciate this. And I have to tell you, it's going to go right out tomorrow. Uh, I don't usually put stuff out this quickly, but if this fits right into my schedule. So you'll be able to hear yourself and be horrified by your own voice uh, in probably twelve hours or so. Well, that's great. So you can. I, I hope you cut out the obscenities and the uh, the screaming and and the lawnmowers and the all that horrible all stuff that. you did will be cut out. Now people will just hear you say that and wonder <laughs> what it is that we took out. So, um, uh, Scott, what a pleasure! I, I enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you for uh, thanks for reaching out. And I'm I do uh, boy Dexcom is great. I, I'm just surrounded by really smart people who love. Uh, who are really bought into the mission. It's, it's a good company. It's a good product. It's a good mission. And, and I, it's nice hearing about your own experience and, and your daughter as well. I hope you have a, uh, a long, happy life with, uh, with this thing that nobody wants, but we're doing the best we can with type one diabetes. You're very nice, John, but to think that you're not going to get drugged back on this podcast at some point is, uh, is not reasonable. I'm going to get you back here at some point. We'll find out more about you and your diabetes one day. Uh, I really appreciate this. I'm going to be incredibly humble all day long after talking to you, just so you know. Uh, <laughs> I, I realize that you, you've got a, you're the god of podcasts, though. You you can go have some podcast swagger and, and brag about having a wonderful podcast. Well, I'll have to lean on that since I couldn't get out of uh, algebra in sixth grade. So thank you very much. Okay, cheers. Have a good rest of your afternoon. Then. You too. I know that was a denser episode than you're accustomed to on this podcast. But I just thought that having someone like John walk through these ideas was important. I took a ton from it. I'm going to listen back to this a couple of times because I am, I'm not as smart as I need to be sometimes about some of this stuff. But John made it understandable and complete. I was really thrilled to have him on. I'm going to have him back someday and just talk about him and his diabetes and try to learn his story. I wish you could have heard the conversation I had with my booker when I was like, hey, I need somebody from Dexcom to talk about standard deviation, like really deep dive. Is there somebody over there that can do that? And she was like, I'll find out. And boom, John Welsh comes out of nowhere. Really lovely man. 
I want to thank you for listening. I mean, especially if you're still here an hour and a half into this, you are a major geek about diabetes data, and I love you for it. Thanks so much to Omnipod, Touched by Type 1, the Contour Next 1 blood glucose meter, and Dexcom for sponsoring this episode of the Juicebox Podcast. Please, again, go to juiceboxpodcast.com for those links or look right into the show notes of your podcast player. You can clicky-clicky on them right there. One way or the other, if you use my links, you'll let the sponsors know that you came from the Juicebox Podcast, and I will, of course, really appreciate that. Hope you're all well, especially in these times. I'm thinking of all of you, and I'll see you soon.